Thanks for listening to Welcome Planet to the Ultimate Agents. Insurance Agency Podcast. Be sure podcast. to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And head over to our Where website we give you the real scoop on being an insurance agent and running an agency. This show is all about helping you focus on, on earning more money as an agent and building your own insurance empire. empire. Here's your industry-leading host who has generated tens of thousands of insurance leads. This is Dave Baker. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. As always, I am ecstatic to have you with me here today. Once again, just a little reminder, we certainly appreciate your comments. If you're using an iPhone or Apple Podcasts to listen to the show, please leave a comment. And, of course, give us as many stars as you can, because we really appreciate that, too. Don't forget that you can send your questions and comments to me directly at dave at planetoftheagents.com. It's that easy. Just dave at planetoftheagents.com. Today I want to talk specifically about three things that you can do right now to evaluate your situation and really set up your agency for the future. Now, recently you may have heard me say that I've talked to some agents and they were kind of glum and a little bit negative, telling me they're seeing a slowdown in business and they didn't know what to do. But even more recently, I've spoken to people and I'm hearing them tell me, we're slammed. We have lots of customers. I can't even help all of these people. And I had to sit back for a second and think, well, what's the difference between these two groups of people? Did something change in the macro picture in the bigger world? No. We're generally still on some sort of lockdown in most parts of the country, and many businesses are still closed, and a lot of people aren't driving. So what I did is I asked them a little bit, what is it you do again? And they would tell me what types of insurance they sold, and then I realized, okay, I can quickly see the difference between what they're selling and why they're still busy, as opposed to the people who were feeling more negative. It all really goes back to a lot of things I've been saying since the beginning. It has to do with how you set up your agency and what types of clients you have. Here's the thing. Think about this. You're picky with a lot of things in your life. You only eat certain foods. You only date certain people. You only want to wear certain clothing. So why do you accept any client? Why aren't you picky with your clients? Is that really the right choice for your business model and for your lifestyle? Do you want to just take all comers, as they say, or do you want to be picky? There's nothing wrong with being picky. It just means that in business, you're setting up things on your own terms. Once I understood this, not only did it change my business model, but it changed my life. And in return, it elevated my happiness factor. If we're rating happiness on a scale of one to 10, I'm much closer to 10 when I'm doing business with the types of clients and writing the type of business that I want to. It's not something that I realized at first, but looking back 16 years, if I would have started this way, I probably would have had a lot less headache and also been happier and had less stress throughout the entire process. Let me tell you something. It is okay to say no. Remember that. Sometimes it's okay to say no. In fact, Many of the most successful people in the world know when to say no. You don't have to say yes to every single quote, just like you don't say yes to every single potential thing that you could eat or every person that you could date or every item of clothing that exists. 
You wouldn't just wear anything, right? So let's get into this and start talking about several things you can start doing right now. What I want to share with you is my own life experiences. I'm not giving you any advice because you have to do what's right for you. You'll need to research this and you have to think on it. What is right for me? Just because something works for Dave doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Now, if you've been a longtime listener, you probably remember the episode where I mentioned building your insurance agency on your own terms. And even if you're 20 years into the business, today feels like a little bit of a renaissance. And if you don't know, that's actually the French word for rebirth. And with so many businesses closed and hopefully opening again soon in the future, now is a great time for you to reevaluate your situation and maybe have a little renaissance if you want to hear my French accent. Okay, let's go over a few key things. Let's get back to first Number one, building it on your own terms. Listen, if you're a property and casualty agent, you can probably quote just about any business, just about any property, but do you really want to? Are you really well-versed enough in each uh, line of coverage and each potential industry to explain it to the customer and understand it? And if not, are you actually giving yourself extra risk and the most painful thing, extra service? Let's start with a little bit of an extreme example, just to make the point here. Let's say that a potential customer, or a lead if you will, comes to you and says, I run a helicopter blade manufacturing service. I'm sure some of you out there work in aviation or manufacturing insurance, but I don't think that's the majority of people. So let's say this potential customer comes to you. What are you going to have to do? First, you're going to have to find a market or a carrier or an underwriter or wholesaler who can even help you with this because it's a unique business. Second, you have to realize that this is not going to be a simple quote that you get online. It's going to be a series of applications asking a series of complex questions, which may require you to actually have a meeting with a customer, and that might not even be possible. Next, think about all the risk. If you're not well-versed in this product, realistically, If they have a potential situation, you might not be familiar with the endorsements that they need or the unique coverage that they need to protect their business. While that's not a priority for everybody as an insurance agent, you want to make sure that you have these opportunities available to you in the markets, meaning that you want to be able to quote things that you can actually get coverage for. Sure, there are companies out there that are going to quote this for you. There are underwriters that will quote it for you, but that might not be the right quote for the customer. Even if the customer wants that quote, there might be a better option out there and you're just really not aware of it. Naturally, nobody is ever going to be able to access every single carrier or underwriter on earth and every single market, but when you sell the same type of business over and over, it makes you more knowledgeable about what's available. So from an insurance agent's point of view, if I received a request like this, I would say, I'm sorry that I cannot help you because it's not a product that I sell regularly, and more importantly, it's a very complex product. Sure, it's okay to sell some things that you don't sell all the time, that makes sense, but hopefully they fall in the same wheelhouse as some of the other types of customers that you have. I use this extreme example because it's not a common business, and it's something that would require a lot of research and a lot of work, and it might really not fit into your business model. So, as an insurance agent, Someone who runs an agency, for example, or even if you're a commission-based sales agent, I think that you have to figure out a way to balance your business. 
you'll need to balance sales time, time spent on service, and for owners, a lot of administrative time handling various documents that you have to complete or other things you have to do for compliance. So today, let's look at three things you can start doing right now to determine what type of clients you want and what's right for you. Number one, determine your setup. Is what you're doing what you want? Is your agency set up in a way to cater to the types of customers that you have and more importantly, the types of customers that you want? The biggest complaint I hear from people in the property and casualty industry is about service. Unfortunately, the industry is not very modern and a lot of the types and channels of service that customers today expect simply don't exist. For example, let's say you sell boat insurance. There's a good chance that a customer cannot go on a web page and just change their boat out for the weekend. You have to be available for them to assist them. Younger people, particularly those who are born practically with a cell phone in their hand, are going to expect a different level of service. So when I say look at your model, I've actually mentioned this to a few people. And model is another term for setup, by the way. So look at your setup or your business model, if you will. I found that the people I've been talking to, they don't even understand their business model. Keep in mind, I generally assume that most people listening to the show and your average small agency, once again, is one to seven people. Two people are probably related. Sometimes they refer to themselves as a small agent or a local agent or a rural agent, or perhaps a mom and pop agent, even though it's more than just mom and dad working at the agency. So let's say you're a one to four person agency business. Do you have a large service team, for example? Is that something that you can accommodate? Do you even want to hire more people? Let's say you get a certain kind of business that requires a lot of service. You're going to need people to help these clients because they cannot service themselves, so to speak. So you have to ask yourself certain key questions. Clearly, if you're a one to four person or even one to seven person agency, you don't have a large service team. I've seen agencies that have 40 or 50 people and they'll have 10 to 30 service people on top of it. It's a quite an interesting balance. So ask yourself this first. Do you want to hire more people in the future as you analyze your model? Generally speaking, I hear that people do not want to hire people and I understand where they're coming from due to what it's like to have people working under you, whether they're employees or some way set up as a subset of your own team and you have to manage them, especially right now with everything going on in the world and businesses being closed. I think that people are trying to save money. So not only do they want, not want to hire people to avoid, say, office politics, they don't want to hire people due to the cost. Now, here's the thing. I will say that hiring should be looked at as an investment, not as an expense. So if you're thinking about hiring people, you'll want to ask yourself, is this person going to generate more revenue or are they going to free up my time so that I can generate enough revenue to counteract the investment that I have to make in paying them and perhaps educating them as well as still earning an additional profit. So continuing with the service question, do you have more service people than you have salespeople? Is that something that you want if you do have that situation set up in your office right now? A lot of people will tell me, gosh, I think that the people who work for me make more than me and I do all the sales. I understand. That's something that certainly concerns people who are working in a service-heavy industry. And if you're on the property and casualty side, then you know probably exactly what we're talking about. 
This applies to both personal lines and commercial lines. And you have an opportunity right now to analyze this and determine whether you're selling personal lines or commercial lines, you can determine what types of customers you're gonna want in the future. And we're gonna to touch on that in a second. So once again, no matter what you're selling, ask yourself this, can you cater to people that want service after your regular business hours? For me, this was something that I was concerned with more as I got older. When I was young and single and just working what felt like 14 hours a day, I didn't care. That's actually part of how I grew my business. I was willing to help people seven days a week. So if the clients wanted to buy on the weekend, no problem, I would be available. I'd answer the phone, I'd respond to my emails all the time, I was constantly checking it, I barely left any time for what we'll call personal time. With that in mind, as I got older, I decided I wanted to change my life schedule a bit and I wanted to focus on working with the clients and agents, um, in my case, clients are generally agents, uh, more from Monday to Friday. And I wanted to use the weekend for other things. Sure, there's some personal time in there, but for me on the weekends, I like to use that as time for marketing and develop marketing plans. Let's look at two kinds of situations where people are demanding of service. In personal lines, a good sample uh, from my own experience was people who would frequently be canceled. They would be canceled most frequently for non-payment. I'm sure you've heard the word non-payment if you've been around the business, and it's something none of us like to see, but it is a reality. When you're dealing with clients that are constantly getting canceled for non-payment, this means a few things. One, you might have to chase after them to make a payment. You might have to call them or email them or send them a text message. Then at the same time, you have to balance that with the potential E&O risk of being the type of agency that contacts people about past due or non-payment situations, because there are some samples and studies where people will tell you that you shouldn't even contact people who don't pay because that might make you liable in some way to continually contact them in the future. That could be used against you if you forget to contact someone one time. Next, you have to rewrite their policy. Even if it's a simple personal lines policy, let's say it's a single car auto policy, not only do you potentially have to re-enter the data, unless you're lucky enough to have a start a new quote button of some sort or requote button, but you now have to get documents signed again, you have to collect a new initial payment, you have to update your systems to track the notes on the situation, you have to update their policy information in your system, of course, and you'll have to make notes on the situation that they called again, and you have these problems. It's a lot of work. And what I find in a lot of personal lines is you don't necessarily earn enough money to justify that. I understand that some people will charge fees or rewrite fees, but as we do have listeners across the country, that is not an option in certain states and with certain types of policies, depending on the setup. In commercial insurance, you actually have the same thing. You have a lot of situations where people are in a non-payment cancellation status. And sometimes it's really hard to deal with in commercial lines, especially if there's a finance company involved. You might have to determine how much they have to pay to catch up. You have to see if the finance company has sent a notice of cancellation to the underwriter or the carrier. Getting a reinstatement is not necessarily easy. And in both lines, you might have to collect no loss letters and other forms. Some personal lines agents told me that they have to have the vehicle brought back by their office and take another photo of it. That is a huge hindrance. And what happened there? Let's think about that. You lost the previous commission because it was 
returned because it was unearned commission. And now you have to do the same thing again. And you're not earning any more money. You're just making the same amount of money. So it's not like you're writing a new policy, which is what you'd rather be doing. So for me, like I said, I would prefer, if possible, to work Monday to Friday. So I had to change my business model to deal with people who didn't have certain situations over and over again and who didn't demand service outside of normal business hours. In the commercial world, I feel like that's a little easier because you're going to have businesses such as professional services businesses. That classification of professional service could include things like a, like a tax preparer. Are they going to call you on Sunday night at 9 o'clock demanding that they need to make a payment right now or that they need some sort of proof of insurance? That's not highly likely. Sure, anything is possible, but it's not likely. So let's move on to step two. Now that we've determined, first you need to determine your setup and what you want to do. In step two, we need to determine what type of client meets your needs. Actually, you need to determine what type of client meets your needs. Let's look at a few examples. As I mentioned, customer service is a large concern and moreover a complaint that I get from pretty much everybody. In fact, the last agent that I spoke to on Friday said the same thing. She's constantly having customers call her, asking her for changes and to make certificates and other service issues. It was really bogging her down. So if you're in a service-heavy side of the business, ask yourself a few questions. Number one, do you make enough money from the commission to justify the amount of service that you're doing? And a question 1A do you charge enough fees to supplement the lack of commission? And under that, I know that some of you are in places where you cannot charge any fees. And with that, you just have to reanalyze your situation from a slightly different angle because you will not be able to compensate for the lack of commission. Let's look at an example. Let's pretend that you sell insurance to something like a food truck. Let's pretend that you receive a 15% commission on a $500 policy, or more likely what I'm hearing, a 10% commission and we'll use a $750 policy to make this an easy calculation. Let's say you make the 10% commission on a $750 premium. So you make $75. And of course, don't forget, you don't actually make the $75 until the whole year has passed and the policy can't be canceled. So if you earn $75, and hypothetically you have to make 50 certificates, is it really worth it? Now for those of you who have never been around a business that takes a lot of certificates, as someone who used to sell food truck insurance, I remember the constant demand for certificates. There were some people who requested almost 100. In fact, some actually requested, I believe, more than 100 in a year. And once again, the commissions were probably around $75. But let's use a smaller number. Let's say you have to make 30 certificates for a commission of $75. Every time you have to make a certificate, you're servicing the customer, and it might take you five minutes maybe 10 minutes because you need an extra five minutes to get your mind back into the state of what you were working on before. Well, if you do some just really basic math, that means you're just making a few dollars an hour. It's not really worth it in my opinion. So you have to have a setup where you can accommodate these types of customers by compensating for the lack of commission, or maybe you have to make a decision to say no to certain types of customers. Now, just as a little disclaimer, I'm not telling you to go out and cancel all the policies and tell people you're not going to help them anymore. It's just something that you want to analyze. Clearly, you probably don't want to throw away 
certain customers because of other reasons, because perhaps you do write five different lines for them. In the food truck example, you might write their auto and their workers' comp, and perhaps other lines as well. You might even write an inland marine policy for them. So you might make the money from a different angle. Just keep that in mind. Another thing to ask yourself is, can I outsource this service? Outsourcing is the hottest thing these days, and a lot of companies, especially in our industry, instead of modernizing their technology, they'll just outsource things. I can think of all the times I receive an email where it says not to reply, and it says that someone is working from a different office. I'll receive these emails with a certificate or some sort of endorsement request at 3 in the morning. So it's not likely someone's working on USA time, so they probably outsource the service. But for you, remember, outsourcing might not be expensive, but it might also put you at some risk because anytime you let somebody else provide any other service and you don't verify every single thing, there is additional risk. So back to determining the type of clients that meet your needs. Let's first talk about personal lines clients. Here are a few things that I've heard people complain about repeatedly, and it makes me wonder why they keep these types of clients. Number one, the cash payer. Look, I understand that you might have an agency that has people walk in and that's how you get a lot of business. And that might be good for the initial policy. But if the same customer has to come back every month and make a payment to you directly, think about how much service time is involved. First, they have to come into your office, which creates an immediate distraction. And it's not to make a sale. It's to provide service, which you are not compensated for a second time. I have observed so much wasted time when I visit agencies. I often ask the agency owner or the person that I'm meeting with, how much time does it take to help these people who are waiting in your waiting room who just want to make payments? And most of them are making cash payments or using some other form of payment that's not an automated system. And they'll say the same thing to me. Oh, don't worry. It just takes five minutes. I'm thinking, five minutes? Really? We've been discussing this for five minutes, and the person out there was already sitting at your uh, representative's desk, and they're still sitting there. I'm just watching the minutes tick by on the clock and watching the money just be lit on fire while the person is out there chatting and talking about their day and still hasn't processed the payment. Five minutes? That's like from the movie Clueless, where they first said, everything in LA is 20 minutes away. Yeah, on a map, not in reality. So... Very few things take five minutes. Keep that in mind. So you have to ask yourself how much time is being spent on the customers that repeatedly come into the office for service. Next is the customer that always wants to be reshopped. I'm sure that all of you just love reshopping your customers because not only are you not spending time on new business, you're potentially cutting your commission as well. It's a new world, everybody. Guess what? Everyone is obsessed with price thanks to all the ads on television and other things you see. I would assume, I don't have a statistic on this, but auto insurance is probably the largest one that receives the demands for reshopping. People constantly want to shop their auto insurance. Not everybody, and that's what we're going to talk about in a minute, but there are a lot of customers that are just obsessed with the price and really don't seem to care about the coverage. So, as always, I do feel it's important that you do focus on explaining the value of the coverage that your uh, company that you're working with is going to offer. Next is one we touched on briefly before, the customer that cancels every month. Oh, just hearing that drives me crazy. I remember when I used to deal with a lot of these situations. 
I would look at someone's file and I would say, why does this person have 14 policy numbers? And I realized it's because they had to keep being rewritten because they were constantly getting canceled. So much time was wasted when some of these customers would call in and send emails and they said, oh, I need another policy again. Well, what happens? Not only are you spending time, but you're increasing your risk of an errors and omissions claim, an E&O claim, the worst thing. You constantly have to get new signed documents and there might be lapses in coverage that could cause a problem. So why did that person get canceled every month? Payment problems. So you have to ask yourself when you're reviewing your book of business, what percentage of the people consistently have payment problems? Is this something that you can solve by mandating that people go on EFT or some form of automatic payment? That might be a solution. That goes back to the question of how people make their payments, whether they walk into your office or they manually want to log in or call a phone number every month. That's something that you want to think about. Next, there's the monoline customer. For as long as I've been in insurance, people always said it's so important to round out the account. The more lines of coverage that you write for one person and the more policies that you write, the more likely that they are to stay with you. Now look, have I ever seen someone who had eight policies cancel and switch to another company or another agency? Sure, I've seen that. But generally speaking, it's not as common for them to cancel as, say, someone who has one policy. We'll call that the monoline customer. Perhaps they buy their auto insurance from you, but not their home. Perhaps they buy their jet ski insurance, but they don't buy any of their other policies from you. Why is that? And is that the type of customer you want to help? So first, I do think we are living in somewhat of a monoline world now because people can go online and they can currently buy auto insurance. And in some places they can buy home insurance on a whim. So they'll just switch one policy, but not the other. So once again, you're going to have to make this decision. Is that what you want to do? I think of all the customers that people tell me they have that only buy auto and not home insurance. And I'll ask them, well, why don't you sell them home insurance? Have you contacted them? Have you made an offer to them? Have you tried to set up a phone call or some other way to make a plan with them? And they might say, well, they don't own a home. Then I'll pause and I'll say, well, okay. Now you have to ask yourself two questions. Number one, do you want to do business with people that do not own a piece of property, whether it's a home or a condo or a manufactured home or mobile home? And next, you have to ask yourself, is there something else that you can offer them? Do they need renter's insurance? Or do they have a toy such as a jet ski or some other watercraft or a motorcycle? I understand that a lot of people in certain areas don't own homes. And if you're from where I'm originally from, it's very expensive today, and yes, a lot of people don't own homes. But in other parts of the country, that's not actually as common as what you see in some of the big cities due to the way the housing market has moved. But that's neither here nor there. So can you do business with monoline customers? Yes, but there are some things to consider. One, they're more likely to leave because they can just switch one policy. It's very easy. And two, there are some carriers that actually pay less commission for monoline policies. You should be very aware of how much commission you receive. And don't just look at a general number. Make sure that you're aware of the situations where you have monoline customers and make sure you're not being penalized for that. If you have a lot of customers that only have one thing, perhaps they have only a, a home and they don't have a car for some reason, or they only have a car and they don't have a home, maybe you need to make sure that you're working with a carrier that's giving you a 
preferred commission while still giving your customer great coverage. Remember that a lot of carriers are actually able to generate you a report showing you which customers have only one policy. So if you don't know how to determine this easily and your management system or whatever system you're using, even if it's an Excel spreadsheet, can't give you the answer, make sure that you do some research so that you can get the answer to this question. Next, let's take a moment to look at commercial lines. The number one complaint that I always hear is service, but what kind of service is it? Certificates. I mean lots and lots of certificates. I constantly hear about people telling me how they have to spend so much time making certificates. Even if they have software that makes the certificates, there's still data entry that's required. And then you often have to double check things to make sure that the terms on the certificate are gonna meet the needs of the certificate holder or the additional insured. So there's a lot of work there. So you might wanna ask yourself, who is certificate heavy? Who requires a large amount of service? Some easy examples would be contractors, mobile businesses, and even performers. Many of these businesses have a need for many certificates because they work with a lot of different clients and they go on the premises of other businesses and are constantly required to get new certificates. Now on the other side of the coin, you have businesses that are light on certificates like professional liability, that's not an industry, but I'm sorry, uh, businesses that require professional liability or E&O insurance, even small ones. Earlier, we talked about tax preparers. They might buy professional liability from you and you might not need to provide them any service until the renewal comes. Another great example is a retail store. Why would a retail store have a large demand for certificates? Generally speaking, they're gonna ask for at least one for their landlord and that makes sense. And perhaps they might ask for one if they go to an event or a convention or something like that. But there shouldn't be a large demand for certificates because people are not asking them for certificates. Next, if you're focused on small commercial, you might wanna ask yourself, can I sell this with a carrier that has a service center? Well, that's got its ups and downs. So if you're focused on the type of commercial that is easy to place, it likely does not pay as much because the premiums are gonna be low. Let's take, for example, a barbershop. That might have a premium today as low as $350 or $400. So you might earn $50 or $60. Now, if you can place that in a service center where you give up a little bit of your commission, but you earn your $50 or $60, you might never actually talk to that customer again. And while it's important to have relationships with your customers, you only have so many hours in the day, so there are situations where you just can't have a relationship and maybe those types of customers will fit great with a company that offers a service center. For me, I prefer harder to place commercial insurance. It generally cannot be serviced by a service center because it's going to be going through a wholesaler or MGA or surplus lines broker. But in return, there are generally higher premiums. Take the same barbershop, but picture one that has a claim or two. That person probably cannot go to a traditional household name carrier, and they're going to have to work with an agent who can find them a policy that will allow for their past claims. They're going to pay a higher premium, and in return, hopefully, you will receive a higher commission. Also, with hard-to-place business, there are more options for fees, broker fees, agency fees, producer fees. There are many types of fees that vary by state. So in some states, they don't allow fees on personal lines, or in some states, they might not allow fees on admitted business. So this gives you an example of a way that you can do business with certain industries that are going to pay you more and also allow you to add a fee for your service. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go to something extreme. 
Earlier, I mentioned my example of a helicopter manufacturer. I'd say there aren't too many of those in the world, and that's fairly extreme. So for harder-to-place business, there's actually a lot, and I mean a lot of business that cannot go with your everyday carriers that you can just get a quick quote for on your computer. And it gives you a huge opportunity. And not all of them are that demanding. Once you figure it out, you'll find that it actually can create a world where you can have fewer customers, do less service, and be able to spend more time helping your customers while still maintaining the same revenue. So let's go to the big item number three on the list, solutions. Let's start with personal lines. For personal lines, you can set parameters. You can say things like, I won't quote your jet ski, or I won't quote your golf cart without quoting the entire package. I remember when I was the guy who would get quotes for people's golf carts, and one of the things they would tell me is they called their current agent, but they said that they wouldn't do it unless they moved all their other business over. And I thought, well, I'm going to be here for you. Let me sell you this $100 policy and earn this $12 so that one day you'll move them to me. Well, that never happened. It rarely happened, actually, if ever. I cannot even remember a time in my career when I was focusing on this small insurance like jet skis and golf carts and people would just move all their business to me. No matter how many times I tried to quote it, they just wouldn't do it. So you can set parameters and say, I don't want to sell certain policies unless you move the whole package to me, meaning you, sell, you also purchase your auto insurance and your home insurance from me. Now, there can be some exceptions. Of course, if you write the auto and home insurance for, say, a couple and then they have a child, and the child needs something, and he doesn't live in the same household, maybe you extend it uh, as a nice service because it's like a family-style account. Next, you can ask yourself, do I want to deal with clients who have a history of claims? This is a double-edged sword. On one side, you're getting higher premiums, you would think, because the person has claims, and there are going to be surcharges and other debits that are applied to their quote. On the other side, if you take clients with claims, they could be hurting you because they could be hurting your loss ratio, which could affect any potential bonus you might get, or they could even cost you an appointment one day. So remember that you need to do some frontline underwriting, not only to determine what their claims history is, but also to determine if this is the right type of business for you. For example, let's say a customer had two fire claims. That would seem like a lot of fire claims. But if you put that with a company that accepted it, just because they accepted it, that doesn't mean that they wanted it. So when that third claim comes, you might be getting a visit from someone asking why you put that customer with them. And there's the bell. <laughs> anyway, let's continue. The next thing you can look at is high value clients. High value clients will have high rebuilding cost homes. That means that they're gonna live in a more expensive home, and a home that has a higher coverage A or dwelling coverage, that in turn generally means higher premiums. And a lot of these customers might want to add some good endorsements like coverage for fine arts or gold and pewter and silver or some of the other policy enhancements that other people try to chop off their policy to save a few dollars. So with that in mind, it rolls downhill, so to speak. When you have a customer who is a high value dwelling customer, not only is their home going to be more expensive and their premium going to be higher, they're going to want additional coverages. Don't you feel better when you sell them a policy that has more coverage rather than having to argue with someone about not cutting off water backup or some other coverage? 
When I got to the point of being able to deal with more people who are asking for more coverage rather than trying to save $1.50 a month, it felt really great. Now, your high-value clients, or what's commonly known as a private client group client or something of that nature, they're going to have other things too. Think about it. They might have luxury cars. They might have boats. And they might actually have fewer claims. Why is that? It's possibly because they have more to lose. Guess what? Someone who lives in a $5 million house and has a Bentley and a Ferrari and perhaps a nice little yacht that they like to take out once a year and then put in storage the rest of the time, they might be really concerned about having a claim and do what they can to reduce their risk so that they don't have to deal with any lawsuits or other situations because they have a lot to lose. Next, the higher value customer is going to probably not be a price shopper. So they're not necessarily looking to save a few dollars, as I mentioned. They're really just looking for coverage. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go out and only write customers who live in multi-million dollar homes. In fact, most people don't live in neighborhoods where they're going to even have that opportunity. But you could scale that down a little bit. There's probably something in your neighborhood or in your wheelhouse, so to speak, that will meet a description similar to this, but it won't be someone who lives in a multi-million dollar house. And that's fine. But you might want to say, we want to write clients that have a homeowner's policy, an auto policy, and five other policies with us, and that aren't obsessed with the price. The price shopper customer seems to put a real burden on a lot of agents. I constantly hear about that, and I understand it's very difficult. Next, let's look at commercial lines. I think that the number one way to deal with the commercial line situation is to focus on niches. First, find a niche that you understand. It helps if you actually understand the industry and are familiar with what goes on. Next, make sure that your carriers or your wholesalers can help you write the business that you're looking to write. So what am I saying here? Not all carriers write all things. So if you, for example, have access to a carrier or wholesaler that has kind of a niche program, that could give you a real edge over other people. There are hard to place industries that simply cannot buy insurance on the internet, which is better for you and that can't even work with agents who only have access to a small amount of carriers who, or who only focus on very easy-to-place business. We don't have to look at that extreme example of the helicopter manufacturer, but even something like a tree trimmer is harder to place. A lot of carriers aren't going to write a single tree trimmer. Some might only write companies that have revenues over a million dollars. Some might require five years prior insurance in the industry. So there's a lot of flexibility there. At our wholesaler, for example, we have great options for retail stores and landlords and a lot of small professionals. And that right there creates huge opportunities for the agents who work with us. Next, think about what coverage can you offer as a coverage enhancement that might distinguish your quotes from another quote. For example, I think always about beauty salons. I've seen so many policies that only have general liability, which means that they have no professional or beauty professional coverage, if you will. and while I can't comment on all policies, very generally speaking, if someone only has general liability, that might not provide coverage in the event that they cut someone while performing their professional service. They might have needed another coverage, such as beauty professional liability. Sure, there are definitely policies out there that might cover it under general liability, and this is insurance, so I have to give a lot of disclaimers, but hopefully you can see my example. Next, when you understand certain industries, and when you're familiar with your carriers and wholesalers and the coverage that they write, that can give you a marketing edge. 
you'll be able to tell customers or potential customers about how you can service their industry and how you have access to policies that have coverages that are intended for their business. Doesn't that make you feel better when you're dealing with someone as a consumer who knows about your industry and who says that they can offer you something that the average person is not? It's a great way to do marketing. So in this extended episode, I want to end it by saying this doesn't mean you need to cancel any customers or just tell everyone you're not going to help them anymore. It just might be time to do some internal restructuring. Like for your service, for example. Let's say you received too many phone calls for the certificates of insurance we discussed. Maybe you could set up an email inbox just for service requests. That could be directed to a person who will handle them, and that will keep people off the phone. Next, I like the idea of setting reasonable expectations for the customer. You might want to tell them something like, we'll generally respond to a certificate request in 24 to 72 business hours. Don't forget to mention the business hours because you might be closed on the weekends. When you give people reasonable expectations, they might not continue to hound you. So for example, I've heard people tell me stories where they say somebody called an hour ago and then said they didn't get their certificate and they've called back three times. And I asked them, well, did you give them a reasonable expectation of the amount of time it would take for you to complete the task? And they did not. So we're going to pick up more on this as we continue these discussions about growing your business and retaining your customers. Right now, during this time when we're all trapped indoors, it is a good opportunity for you to really evaluate your business. Make sure that you're doing all the things that you want to do. And if you're not, it's okay to sit down and draw out a plan to determine your future. I don't care if you've been in business 20 years. Things change. The world has changed. And everyone around us probably sees that right now. When we're done with this, some businesses will never reopen. And some people will change where they live. They'll literally change their lifestyle after this virus situation. Some people won't want to live in cities anymore. Some people haven't been driving, so they might not want to drive again. So they might move into cities that are highly walkable. Who knows what's going to happen? The only thing I know is that the insurance agent is still going to be an essential part of society. And that you're still going to be out there. So... I do want to thank you once again for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I love to get your comments and your suggestions for the show. Please feel free to send me an email at dave at planetoftheagents.com. And don't forget to go to the website, planetoftheagents.com, to sign up for our newsletter, where I do share a little bit more information. I also, of course, have our membership option, where you can get access to some of the templates that I have built and some of the scripts that I used in the past to grow my business. And for those of you who need more help with commercial, you are certainly welcome to contact our wholesaler, which can be found at yesbaker.com. That is Y-E-S-B-A-K-E-R.com. It's that simple, and you can request a new producer agreement online, and you can also see a lot of what we write. We'd be more than happy to help you. I look forward to sharing my ideas with all of you again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Planet of the Agents. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And head over to our website at planetoftheagents.com to sign up for our newsletter and get even more information on how to grow your insurance agency.